Thank you. Ah, there we go. Everybody hear me okay? Yes, sir. All right. Thank you, Jeannie. I appreciate the, uh, the introduction. Josh, thank you for talking God up. Not me, but God. God's going to bring it. Not me. Um, it is very, very good to see everybody here at the Grace Group. Um, thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Josh. Uh, I think this is the fourth or fifth time I've been. I can't really recall, but it's always an honor and a privilege. I think this is probably the one of one of the very first places that uh, I spoke at whenever the uh, the pandemic hit, and um, it's always been fun. It's good to see some smiling faces, meet some new folks as well. So thank you for that. Um, my name is Jared Dickey. I am a recovered alcoholic. I'm grateful to be here and present and to have some little youngins running around in the, in the background, which you'll probably hear. I alluded to that earlier. Um, God separated, separated me from alcohol September the 5th, 2015. For that, I am very, very grateful. Those kids are grateful. Their mom is grateful. A lot of people are grateful. Um, I introduce myself as recovered because that is the truth. That is my experience. I don't suffer from some sort of false humility that I'm just going to be always recovering sick and suffering, struggling one silly day at a time. It's not my experience. I've taken 12 steps. I've had a spiritual awakening as the result of those steps. And I no longer think about drinking. At the same time, I no longer think about not drinking. That's a pretty cool deal. Right? There were plenty of times when uh, I would wake up in the morning untreated and I was either thinking about how I could get it or how I could stay away from it. Either way, that obsession owned me. And fortunately, today, I live a life of invitation. People call and ask me to go places or to be part of something. And that's great because uh, there were plenty of times in the past untreated where people would call ahead and say, your husband's not coming, is he? All the time. <laughs> All the time. Um, so um, I, uh, I'll be honest with you guys. Um, I didn't prepare for the talk. I don't usually do what I like to do is just get prayed up with a simple prayer that my, uh, sponsor taught me. God, God, guide my spirit and my words, fix, uh, fix their ears and their hearts. And we're just going to go straight to it. Um, now I'm sure we may talk about, uh, or I'm going to try to gear things towards sponsorship, qualifying the newcomer, and uh, something that was mentioned uh, in the uh, the readings, our singleness of purpose, and uh, probably throw some spiritual experience stuff in there as well. So I promise you, you are not going to get a canned speech. It's going to come from the heart. It's going to come from spirit. Um, I was thinking today about uh, my first experience in uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous, and throughout all the, I guess my time, you know. 10 plus years in AA, only about almost eight of those uh, free from alcohol. Um, a lot of the people that I've met have had the same experience that I have. And I'm sure that there may be one or two folks here that have shared that experience. Um, a long time ago, I, I, I knew I had a problem. I just didn't really know what it was. Um, I knew that I drank a whole lot and I knew it was kind of difficult to control and I started to not keep my promises and all of that kind of stuff. And I showed up to AA and, you know, I just pulled it up on my phone and it's like, okay, cool. So there's a group that's like 1.2 miles down the street. Let's go to that group. Cause I was under the assumption that every single Alcoholics Anonymous group is the same and that they were probably 
all conducted the same. <clears throat> and so what happened is I showed up there and, uh, you know, the, the smiles were, were lovely and bright. The hugs were warm. The coffee was watered down. And, um, you know, everybody was really nice. And they set me down and they said, hey, guys, Jared's brand new. Why don't we all tell him how we got here? And so they started going around the room and it just turned into one big fishing story. People are one up in each other, you know, and the, these people are talking about ex or consequences or results of their drinking and perhaps even, you know, even using in an AA meeting. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, I haven't done any of this stuff. I, I can't relate to any of that. I must not be an alcoholic. And I sat in this particular meeting for three or four years and almost died several times. Physical death. I'm not talking about just oh, almost died. No, I really almost died. <clears throat> and it, I, I was a meeting maker. What they kept uh, telling me was all sorts of awesome stuff. Hey, meeting makers make it. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Just put the plug in the jug. All the awesome one-liners that we hear all over the world. And I do mean all over the world. Um, and at no point in time did anybody pull me aside and say, hey, this is what you might be suffering from. Better yet, here's a solution to what you might be suffering from. Or even just try to buddy-buddy up to me and just say, hey, you know what? What you were talking about today kind of relates to this paragraph in the book. Why don't you check it out? None of that. I just sat there, right? Working the steps off of the wall, attempting to, you know? Um, and my sobriety was based in um, attending meetings. Someone told me, do 90 and 90. Uh, like any good alcoholic, I did 270 and 90. And I would still drink before the meeting. I would still drink after the meeting. And uh, sometimes even during the meeting, the group that I was going to started offering desired chips twice during the meeting, once in the beginning, once in the end, because of you know who. Um, and, you know, honestly, that's not anything to laugh about. I was drinking myself to death and I didn't know why. Um, and when I look back at it in hindsight, I was there. I showed some sort of willingness to get better, but I was never approached. Right. And that's what I want to gear towards today is about approaching the uh, the alcoholic. Um, time and time again, the book talks to us about making the approach, um, what to do on our first meeting, what to do on our second meeting with somebody. Um, <clears throat> some of the questions to ask and all that stuff we'll end up getting into. As a matter of fact, there's a wonderful chapter dedicated to solely this, and it's called Working with Others, Chapter 7. Um, and so what I want to do is, is kind of hit this on a, um, on a side of, of sponsorship and what's, what this looks like in terms of what the book says, um, and exactly how I utilize that in my own personal experience, uh, pres as precisely as the book lays out. Um, now, uh, before we get into all of this, I must preface that in the Ford of the first edition, it talks about how we precisely have recovered, right? Precisely means clear cut, no gray area, not up for interpretation, right? If I want what those guys had, the first 100, guess what? I need to do precisely as they did. If I um, do my program, then you get the Jared program. Results may vary. Uh, wear a helmet because it's going to get pretty ugly, okay? 
There is no my program. There's no her program. There's no their program. There is only the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And if I want to be a student and practitioner of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, then I need to do precisely as they have laid out in this book. Why? Because it worked. You can go back in the archives and see all sorts of fun stuff that they used to do to sober up alcoholics prior to all of this. Um, suffice to say, uh, in the chapter, Working with Others, just come right over here. If you're with me, welcome to turn over to page uh, 89. Um, it starts off by saying practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. That is an amazing statement. Um, immunity. I'm sure uh, some people out there may be older than me. You look at your arm, you probably got a smallpox vaccine, right? What does that, what does that do? Uh, better yet, how about a polio vaccine? Yep, there you go. Ross has got one right there. <laughs> what does it do? Once I have that, guess what? I now have immunity from that illness, right? So what it's telling me is that if I want immunity from alcoholism, immunity from drinking, right? Then I need to apply the vaccine. What is that? Intensive work with other alcoholics, right? Intensive. Uh, how did you drink? Intensively, right? So guess what? Doesn't need to be any different than this. Uh, and it even talks about later on, Dr. Bob talks about if you even throw half the zeal into work in the steps, uh, then you're gonna get some amazing results. So that gives me the secret handshake right there. Oftentimes people will catch them uh, themselves thinking that 10, 11, and 12 uh, in the latter part of the work is somehow optional. Um, you know, if I get out there, if I make some amends and stuff like that, you know, and get the blowtorch backed away from my ass for a little bit, um, then I'm, I'm going to be good. I'll attend some meetings, you know, maybe I'll call a support group, all of this fun stuff. We're going to try other things when the heat's on, uh, when the relationship isn't doing so hot, um, or perhaps the boss is breathing down my neck, the kids are screaming, the wife burns the bacon, all of these things, when they happen, I'm going to try other things. And that looks like, you know, gym memberships and hot yoga and all sorts of, you know, fun, crazy stuff, right? And those things will work up until the point that they don't. But what will sure ensure immunity is the secret handshake. It's working intensively with other alcoholics, right? How do I do that? Well, you can go to meetings. That's stupor, right? You can find a lot of newcomers at meetings. But that also means that I can't just sit in a meeting and wait for them to come to me, right? It's about making the approach. Each and every single one of us has a knack for sniffing out drunks, right? That's one thing that I do extremely well is it's fine drunks and I work with drunks. And I'm sure each and every one of you know where the local bum is hiding out behind the 7-Eleven or, you know, wherever it might be. It's like, I know where they, where they go hide. I go to that area. Why? Because I'm a free man. I can go to all sorts of sorted spots, right? I'll bring a buddy with me, bring a couple of books and go find it. A lot of people like to use um, H&Is, right? Hospitals and institutions. If you're so situated where you can devote your time, uh, which I highly suggest, it's, it's something like an experience, kind of like the book talks about that you don't want to miss. If you're situated to be able to go to a treatment center and make that a commitment weekly, you will find and a mass amount of people, right? Um, 
the uh, it's sometimes it's like shooting fish in a barrel, especially if you get a detox to go to. Amazing. Amazing. Why? Because they're all shaking it out. Their eyes aren't even pointing in the same direction and they're desperate. Right. They're absolutely desperate. They're within the window of a week to a month that page 24 talks about. Right. We'll get back to page 24 here in a little bit. So why is this the secret handshake? Well, because this is what ensures immunity. Even back in the four to the second edition, uh, well, I might as well just turn to it and read it. We got it right here. But this is what Bill and Bob knew uh, was going to steal the deal. Here we go. Um, in the four to the second edition, it said it also indicated that strenuous work, one alcoholic with, uh, sorry, one alcoholic with another was vital to what kind of recovery? Permanent recovery. Right? Permanent recovery was vital to permanent recovery. Hmm. You don't suppose they really just meant one day at a time recovery, right? No, I'm pretty sure they wrote it down. It says permanent. It's got that many letters. Permanent means permanent, right? So this is something that I need to be doing constantly, right? Day in and day out. Whenever I'm so situated, the book talks about it. You know, when some people can devote um, a lot of their time to it, some people can't devote much time, right? But they still devote time. Um, I do freelance work. So fortunately, I have a lot of time on my hands and I can use that to go up to the local 24-hour club, buy a cup of coffee and sit around. Uh, as a matter of fact, that's what my sponsor tells me to do. If I'm boiling into self, hey, do you got a couple of bucks? Yes, sir, I do. All right. Why don't you get up there to the 24-hour club and talk to every single expletive that you can talk, <laughs> that you can talk to and uh, call me back in a couple of hours? All right, cool. And, and that's what we do. So um, if you're so situated that someone um, <laughs> that you see a newcomer, then it's, we're about to get into in some, some instructions on exactly how to approach that person. If you walk into a meeting, the best way that you could probably spot a newcomer is the guy who's not making any eye contact with anybody. He's sitting there and he's reading the book. Looks like he's being diligent about reading the book. You know what I mean? That's the that's the new guy right there. And you go spot him. Hey, hey, pretty cool book, huh? You know, end up making small talk. We don't have to start off as evangelists or reformers. Page 89 already talks to us about that. I'm gonna arouse prejudice. If I show up from some sort of spiritual mountaintop, guess what? This dude's already written me off. I need to bring myself onto the same level. Right. We do the same thing when we're carrying the message into treatment centers. It's like any any person can come in there and just read the book. Right. And matter of fact, tons of people probably do that, but we need to get down to their level. Right. We need to share our experience on what we were like, what happened, what we we're like now. Right. Not what it was like. They know exactly what it's like. It's crappy. They're there. You know what I mean? And so we've got to get down onto their level. And, you know, that looks like kind of relating it may involve some silly war stories at the time. But this kind of uh, rolls into what the book talks about whenever we go into our first meeting. So let's, um, here we go, page 90. And I'm going to hit, I'm just going to kind of hit some highlights, hit some key points. It says, so when you discover a prospect for Alcoholics Anonymous, find out all you can about him. Ross called me about a guy the other day 
Uh, matter of fact, another one a couple of months ago. And so what? I'm calling Ross. I'm going to find out all I can about this guy before I give him a shout. Anybody passes my name along or, you know, I find out about a, or get a guy passed over to me or a woman. It doesn't really matter. Um, I'm going to find out absolutely all I can about him. If that means that I need to call a relative, a friend, family member, I'm going to get some inside information so that I can try to figure out and then bring it into prayerful uh, contemplation on how I can best help this person, right? With God's help. And it goes on to say, if he doesn't want to stop drinking, don't waste your time to persuade him. I can't tell you how many 12-step calls that I've been on when someone has called me and says, hey, can you get over here right now? So-and-so is drinking and uh, they're going to want some help. It's like, okay. I probably should have asked some questions ahead of time, but once I make it over to this certain spot, it, I'm asking this person, hey, you know, so are, are you ready to stop? No. Okay. All right. Well, then I'll, I'll see you later. Here's my number. Give me a shout if you need. And on the way out, the parent or the sister or whoever it was is like, what are you going to do? Aren't you going to make them stop? It's like, no, I'm not going to make them stop because I'm, as the book tells me, I may ruin a future opportunity. They need to go out and have all the fun that they can possibly have, right? Um, and as a matter of fact, that's exactly what my sponsor told me. It's like, dude, you need to go out and have all the fun that you're, you're willing to have until you're ready to get this. Why? Because when am I most willing to accept drastic and revolutionary proposals? When I'm most desperate. When am I willing to do something that I absolutely do not want to do? When I'm desperate when I'm drowning, right? When I want to, when life has boiled down to just two things, breathe air, not water. That's it, right? No door number three. And so that's when the appropriate time is to capture this guy whenever he's most desperate, right? My buddy Myers talks about it like fishing, you know? You just wait until, until they're the most hungry and then that's when I can set the hook, right? Um, it goes down to say, Ask him if he wants to quit for good and if he would go to any extreme to do so. To quit for good. Not quitting for one day at a time, quitting for good, right? Altogether. That's a long time. That's a long time. And when we move into this qualification process, uh, which is probably the, one of the most important pieces, I guess, of, of this talk, is the dreaded Q word. A lot of times people said, oh, you can't qualify somebody. You know what I mean? It's, well, the book kind of gives me instructions on how to do that, right? The chapter itself is giving me instructions on how to do that. And it gives me one caveat, which we're going to get to. And it's a big caveat. Um, but it boils down to the two questions on page 44, right? Uh, to paraphrase, can you control how much you drink every single time? Have you made a firm commitment or a firm resolution not to do it again? You find that you can. It's two simple questions. Right? Now, if, if you're approaching somebody who knows absolutely nothing about the book, then obviously, uh, or the program and doesn't have any experience, which there are still plenty of people out there, um, then what we want to do is we want to kind of ease into this. I'm not going to let them know I'm a member of AA yet. We'll talk about that later once I introduce the book. But at first... We're just going to exchange some stories. I'm going to get to know them a little bit, and then I'm going to ease into it. I'm going to ask them those couple of questions because I'm going to end up relaying some stuff about myself 
and talk to him about how I got to a point where I just couldn't control it. And then I got to a point where no matter how much I wanted to, I couldn't stay away from it to save my own life. No amount of love and no amount of consequences was going to keep me away from it. Right. And once I start seeing some of this, some head bobbing, right. I know that me and this guy are on the same page. Right. Uh, the book says that, you know, someone who's properly armed with the facts about themselves can easily win the confidence of, you know, another alcoholic in just a, a few hours. You know, you get used to doing this. It only takes a couple of minutes, right? Easily in a couple of minutes, right? It just takes practice. And how do I go practice? I go out, right? I get off my butt and I go out there into the trenches and find them. So when, when qualifying this new person, I'm going to, you know, the first part of our illness, the physical piece, that's the easiest to get down with, right? I'm going to ask them straight up. Can you control how much you drink every single time? Chances are the answer is going to be no, right? Then I'm going to, I might beat it up just a little bit more. You know, it's like, Hey, you ever been to the liquor store more than once in a day, you know, or have you ever, you know, done this, said you're going to go off and have, you know, three and you end up having five, that kind of thing. That's the easiest part to get down with. But in the qualification process, one of the more difficult pieces is really the second part, is this idea of choice. Um, and sometimes you've got to dance around the question plenty of times to be able to try to hit them from different angles. Because it's really easy to sit there and ask somebody, hey, you know, do you believe you, you could choose the next time you're going to drink? You know, you might get a yes or a no, but you might not get the full answer. Right? What we've got to hit at is, have you ever tried to quit for good? That's an easy question. Have you ever made the commitment to just, you know, you know what? I'm never going to touch this stuff as long as I live. Right? That's usually the kicker right there. That's what kind of separates uh, either, you know, someone from being a hard drinker or perhaps someone who's a potential alcoholic who hasn't gone that far yet, who hasn't made, you know, that firm resolution and doesn't really know whether they've lost the power of choice. and. So what do we do at that point? I had a guy a couple of months ago who called me. He told me he had never actually um, tried to quit for good. And so what I did is I took him to the book. We talked about one of the tests that the book talks about over there. And uh, I believe there's a solution. And it was the piece about quitting or, you know, try letting him li uh, leave liquor alone for a year. And it's a simple test. And so I offered this to him. I said, I'm not going to tell you to go out and drink. But what I will tell you is that, you know, if you feel that you haven't approached this point, then why don't you just make a commitment to leave it alone for a year, right? Well, can I still go to meetings and stuff? I said, yeah. Well, what do I tell them? You know what? Tell them you're doing the year test. Anybody who's been in the book, they know exactly what you're going to do, right? And uh, sure enough, it only took probably two and a half weeks. And I saw this dude in detox, you know? He made he made the commitment and then he found that he couldn't keep up to it. Right. And that right there is that's a it's a soul crusher. Right. It's a pride killer. And that's where we, you know, we hope that these people can get to. Why? Because when they're desperate, they're going to work the steps with the desperation of a drowning man. And we can move much faster, much faster, just as fast as the book talks about, because the steps themselves are meant to be moved, meant to be worked rapidly, right? It's not a step a month club. It's not, uh, you know, 
uh, I'm going to give you eight months to work on your fourth step. I've, I've heard people plenty of times who, you know, are sharing in meetings or whatever. And it's like, I'm, I'm on step six and I'm, and I'm four or five years sober. And it's like, what are you willing? Are you not? Yes or no? Moving on. Let's go. Um, and so kind of, you know, backtracking a little bit is I can't get in the way of this other person's drinking. All I can do is lead him and lead him down the path. I give him a head full of, of alcoholism and I probably ruin his drinking on top of that, which is totally awesome because my sponsor did the same thing to me too. And I see a lot of people laughing because they probably had the same experience. Someone just, he completely ruined my drinking and said, dude, you know, if this is you, step one, isn't telling you that you can't drink. Step one is saying that you're going to drink, right? And you're going to do it against your will and you're going to keep doing it right? Until you seek a spiritual solution. And that's exactly where this guy who I was given an example of is where he got to. And then he was finally ready to do the work, right? And then we sat down and we plowed through it, got him out to, you know, make an amends and stuff like that. And he was out carrying the message with me within a matter of two weeks. Right? Um, so coming over here to uh, still on page 90, under the question that I, or the statement that I had mentioned earlier, ask him if he wants to quit for good and if he would go to any extreme to do so. The next sentence says, if he says yes, then his attention should be drawn to you as a person who has recovered, right? Past tense, a person who is a free man or free woman who can go anywhere on God's green earth, right? So the book instructs me to introduce myself as a recovered alcoholic. Have I, if I have gone through the work and I've had a spiritual awakening as a direct result of the work, then that is my instruction. That is my title, right? Not anything less than that. Anything less than that is false humility. So moving forward, what I'd like to get to, because I know I'm probably going to be running out of time. Yep, that's what happens when I start rambling. What I really want to get to is page 92 in the first real paragraph. Um, the key sentence says, if you are satisfied that he is a real alcoholic, right, we'll stop right there. If you are satisfied that he's a real alcoholic. So this is where the qualification process um, comes with the caveat. I need to be satisfied that this person is a real alcoholic. I'm going to hit home all of the questions. I'm going to bash home step one as much as I, I can humanly possible until it's coming out of our ears. And if for some strange reason that he does not meet that criteria and I'm not satisfied, I'm not going to take him through the work. I have to be satisfied. This is why qualification is so absolutely important and people shy away from it is because I need to know exactly who I have sitting in front of me. Right? Do I have a hard drinker, you know, a little disco drunk who just, you know, gets his head bashed in on the weekends and then comes up above water during the week to go to work and all this kind of stuff? You know, do I have the real alcoholic? Do I have a potential alcoholic? Do I have someone who's got this physical piece, but hasn't yet reached a point where they can understand that they're truly defeated? You know, someone who needs to go off and do some more research, right? Or Better yet, do I have somebody who's a double winner? 
do I have a drug addict in front of me? All right. Now, going in the door, I'm going to tell you, we're going to start talking about some drugs in relation to singleness of purpose. Right. Um, step 12 talks, well, step 12, the traditions. So many times it talks to us about uh, helping other alcoholics. Right. That is what I'm uniquely qualified to do. Why? Because I'm an alcoholic. I'm not a drug addict. Right? Drugs is not part of my story. It is not for me to preach any of that kind of stuff from a podium or for anywhere else. Why? Because then I'd be giving you, well, backtracking a little bit. I'm going to go off on a tangent with this. Either way, I need to know exactly who I have in front of me. One of my first experiences in sponsorship, someone approached me. And this is probably three weeks, three weeks sober, I think. And um, I'd already gone through all the work. And I was off carrying the message at a local wind-up joint. And uh, a guy came up and asked me to sponsor him. And it was like, yeah, cool. You know what I mean? I thought, all right, this is how it goes. Now we're you know, going to kick it into high gear. And I called my sponsor and I said, hey, you know, JK, something great happened. This dude asked me to sponsor him and stuff like that. And he said, okay, so did you follow the instructions in the book? And I was like, uh, yeah, you know, and he said, so what did you find out about him? And I was like, well, you know, I mean, he's an alcoholic. He's also, you know, a meth addict. And he was like, whoa, 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 hold up. What'd you just say? And I was like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's a meth addict. And he goes, ah, okay. So Jared, let me, let me ask you a question. Do you have any experience doing meth? And I said, no, sir, I don't. And he said, who do you think you are? How do you think that you would be uniquely useful to that person when you have absolutely no experience walking in his shoes? I was like, well, I don't know. And he said, you don't, but check it out. We have plenty of friends that do. So I want you to give you know, this guy a call and I want you to give this guy a call. And I want you to sit down and I want you to figure out exactly what a first step experience looks like for a drug addict. And then you'll know the big difference, right? And I, I did absolutely that. Called some of my buddies in DAA. Uh, DAA is very strong here. Um, and uh, sat down with these guys and they let me have it with a step one experience for, uh, for what a drug addict looks like. Far different than what it would be for an alcoholic. Some things are similar, but you know, for the drug addict, suffice to say, step, you know, a step one experience kind of looks like a toe tag. Right? I don't mean to be rough with that. But what we have to understand is that now we're in a position that we're playing with fire, right? If this person approaches me and I think that I can actually help this person when I have no experience doing that, that person's life is now on my head, right? Do I want that on my head? Do I want that in my conscience? When there's plenty of other hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands of plenty of recovered drug addicts in my phone list or wherever out there in the world that I can get this person uh, connected to where he can get the help that he needs. There's absolutely nothing wrong with redirecting somebody. Now, check this out. In our meetings, some of our meetings are open. Some of our meetings are closed. Uh, Here, you know, in Dallas, we have a, uh, at our group, anybody is welcome to come and study with us. I know for a fact that we have drug addicts that come and study with us. We have overeaters who come and study with us. We have people from other things that come and study with us, and they're absolutely welcome to do that, right? But where each of these people is uniquely useful is to what they relate to, right? Um, put it this way. 
if I needed some advice, if I'm about to have kids and I needed some advice from uh, someone who's been in my shoes, am I going to seek advice from someone who's never had kids? No, I'm not because they don't have the experience, right? Um, I try to, I, I kind of dumb it down and I tell the guys at the treatment center, it's like, hey, look, I drive a Chevy, drive a Chevy pickup truck. If that thing breaks down, am I going to take it to the Ford dealership to get worked on? No, right? I'm going to take it to the people who know how to work on Chevys, right? Alcoholics Anonymous is for alcoholics. Now, there's also still the other, the other, you know, piece that we may have a double winner. So if I have a double winner sitting in front of me, someone who is both alcoholic and a drug addict, then guess what? Their solution lies in both fellowships and they're welcome in both fellowships. But I cannot be all things to all people. Going into what the traditions start to talk about is that uh, my primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics achieve sobriety, right? That's exactly what I do. If I stem off or frog off into something else, then I'm playing with fire again. Right. Um, we have a little history lesson in regards to this. Back in 1840s, the Washingtonians were formed. Right. They realized that they could all kind of help each other uh, end up, you know, staying sober, and it and it worked. It worked for a long time. Their membership increased to a, a huge amount. Even Abraham Lincoln went and spoke at one of their their little conventions. But then they started frogging off into other stuff. Other than stuff that they weren't so good at talking about, uh, you know, perhaps slavery or, you know, banning alcohol altogether, like prohibition and, you know, women's rights and all sorts of stuff. Guess what? They dissolved very, very quickly, right? Because they lost sight of the one thing that they do well, right? And that was deal with alcohol. And it's important that we don't lose sight of, of what we're trying to do. Now, a lot of times, People who make the, you know, or who I'm approaching will say, oh, there's no strong groups where I'm at. Guess what? Perhaps God would have me take a sidestep out of what I'm supposed to be doing and help this person start a meeting. Maybe that's what God would have me do. He could tell me your work is done here for right now. Why don't you go help these guys start a meeting so that they can go get free? Ideally, my main objective is to be helpful, right? To be helpful is our only aim. So at the very least, if I have a drug addict sitting in front of me or someone who I think is a potential drug addict, then I'm going to give them some numbers of some people who I absolutely trust with my own life, and I'm going to send them that way, right? Um, so taking it all back, if I'm satisfied that this person is a real alcoholic, then I'm going to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady, right? I'm going, to, I'm going to continue to beat it home and beat it home. And as the book says, once you think that you're done, I'm going to beat it home some more. And then I'm going to talk to him about exactly how I got well. Right? And then it alludes to me um, starting to st stress the, the spiritual feature freely of this. So we're going to fast forward just a little bit. Perhaps this guy is the real deal. We're going to sit down and we're going to go through some work. We're going to go through some initial stuff. Might be, I don't know, a two-hour meeting that kind of thing. One hours, two hours, whatever. But what I'm not going to do is sit and read line for line next to this gentleman, right? We're not going to sit and read the book together. The book does not instruct me to do that, right? It says, lend him a copy of your book, right? But I got plenty of books. I My book is special, okay? 
special made book. So I got plenty of other little red books that I'm going to hand out, right? And sometimes we hand them out like Tic Tacs. Here you go, buddy. Oh, you want to get, okay, here you go. You know, and uh, what I'm going to get him to do is I'm going to get him to read it because we'll backtrack to that one sentence. If he's willing to go to any extreme to do so, he needs to know what any extreme is. And that means he's, need, he's going to need to read the book. Uh, it's going to talk about a whole lot of any links, right? Any links is any links. What's the price for freedom? Any price. So when I ask him if he's willing to go to any links, he's going to need to know what that is, which means he needs to read the book in the interim. Once we go up on our second meeting, now we're ready to fly, right? We can recap some step one stuff. I ask him a simple question. Step two, do you believe there's a power working in my life that's keeping me sober? The answer is yes. Do you hope that that power can work for you? Yep. All right. Step two is done. No need to beat it up anymore. Moving on. Step three, are you ready to make the commitment to go through the rest of the work like your life depends on it? Yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. Let's hit our knees. We do a third step prayer. Get up and give them instructions for four. You got a week to do it or else. Right. Or else means go away. Don't waste my time. Because there's plenty of other people over here, you know, waiting in line who need some help. So we go through this. We end up, you know, the, the idea is to get this person as free of me, as free from himself, and as connected to God as fast as humanly possible. Right. So that now his trust and his reliance is upon God. Right. And, you know, granted, a lot of times people, there's even a chapter written about spiritual experience in the back of the book. It is not for me to say, as a matter of fact, it would be arrogant for me to say that I think that I know exactly how God is going to show up in your life or how God is going to show up in my life or this new guy's life. You know, pretty arrogant. But, um, at the same time, from experience, I've noticed that the quicker we work these people through the work, right, the quicker or the more likely they are to have a profound experience. Right? I'm not saying white light, right, but I'm also not saying lengthy educational variety. I'm talking about a sudden experience. Why? Because they're still desperate. That desperation is still, you know, stuck back in the corner of their mouth. You know what I mean? They're just now, you know, forming complete sentences and their eyes are pointing in one direction, you know, and now they've gone from gutter level drunk to having a spiritual experience in a matter of days. And that's a pretty cool deal. As a matter of fact, it's probably one of the coolest things that you can ever experience. I'll share a quick story. Um, I had a guy that I pulled out of detox and he was desperate. I always hand out my number. Nobody ever calls, but this dude called me that night when I'm on my way home. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is pretty special. Um, so I talked to him and I said, okay, this is what we're going to do. He said, I actually, I get out tomorrow. They're not letting me go into the men's unit. So I'm just out in the world. And I'm like, perfect. So went and met up with him. We went through some work and, um, in a very short amount of time, uh, he had gone through the work. He was already making amends. And I told him, I said, guess what? You know, it's time for you to come with me to Homeward Bound. And he was like, well, I was just there a week and a half ago. I was like, I know. Now it's time for you to go talk to those guys. And so, and, and seriously, hold on to your seat because this is by far one of the coolest stories that I've ever been able to experience. We go in there and before we walk up, he's like, I mean, you can see he's shaking, he's sweating bullets. You know what I mean? He's like, 
how do I even know what to say? And I said, I'll tell you what my sponsor said, read the damn book. You can't screw it up. Um, but I tell you what, I'll do my spiel. I'll do what we need to do. And then I'm going to give you five minutes at the end and just, just talk to these guys. Tell them what your experience has been up to this point. Tell them what you've done, you know? And he's like, okay, I think I can do that. And we go in there and um, I start, you know, talking about some stuff. And a guy asked me a question and lo and behold, we're not even like 20 minutes into the talk. And my guy pipes up and he's like, he starts to tell him, Hey, you know, this is what, this is what I did just in a short amount of time or whatever. And the guy who asked the question goes, wait a minute, wait, you're that Russian guy, aren't you? <laughs> it was like, not let it me. He was talking to my friend. He was Russian. and. He goes, you're that Russian guy who was in detox with me like a week and a half ago, dude. And I mean, like he's, he's causing a huge ruckus. He gets up, he runs over to my friend. He's like examining him up and down. You know what I mean? I'm looking at his face and he's like, what happened to you? Dude, you look totally different than the time that you were here before. And then I was like, I just kind of sat back and it's like, all right, let's just watch what God can do because that's exactly what it was. This dude went on went on a tirade telling him exactly what he did. And, you know, this the guy who asked the question gets up and down so many times. He was like, dude, I was in detox with this guy. He pissed his own pants. He had to use a straw. He couldn't even hold up a drink or whatever. And look at him now. He's here talking to us like that guy was like bearing witness to my guy, to all the rest of the people. And I'm sitting here with chills and I'm just like, <laughs> feel the power, baby. Just watching it happen. And we got done. And, you know, usually what happens, it, you know, out of being cordial, these guys will get up, they'll line up and they'll come and, and shake my hand because I'm usually rolling by myself. And so I get up, you know, and I'm uh, my guys on the other side of me and I get up and I'm ready to you know, start shaking hands. These dudes run right past me. And come straight up to him and are just like, you know, man, great job, dude. Give him some hugs, you know what I mean? And all that kind of stuff. And the dude who got up and asked the question, he's like, dude, will you sponsor me? I don't know what happened to you, but I want what you did. I want to do what you did and I want what you got. Right. And all these other guys are just lined up right back behind him. And I'm like, see you down in the parking lot, guys. And, you know, I just waited down for him. and. Sure enough, I'm waiting at the bottom of the steps and he gets done talking and stuff like that. And I will tell you this, I saw the face of God in that man as he was walking down the steps. Okay. It was tangible. It was real. It was there. He could feel the power. That's why we say it, feel the power. Because when God is running through you and he's running through me and that power combines, it's like electricity and you know it. He had this shitty grin on his face as he's walking down the stairs and just like, huh, you know what I mean? Like walking on air. And I said, so what do you think? He's like, I don't even know what to think. He said, you, you saw me shaking in there. I was scared. I was so scared. And I said, well, guess what? You've made the, you've made the, the leap, right? Now you know what it's like on the other side of the fire. Right? And that's the same sort of thing that we need to con continue to do. And that was the beginning of his first spiritual experience. Right? And we're talking about two weeks, right? Through the work, he's carrying the message in two weeks. 
and he has that vital spiritual experience, right? He continues to have that vital spiritual experience. And so I'm not even sure if I covered any specific points throughout this entire talk. Uh, I probably seem like I rambled a whole bunch. And uh, sometimes I tend to do that. And I hope that I do that sometimes because then that means it's not me showing up. But if there's anything that I can end with that I believe is of the utmost importance is that each and every single one of you have a voice, right? We all have a set of precise instructions. And as long as we are lockstep in our primary purpose, right? Going out to help alcoholics. Alcoholics Anonymous is not for men. It's not for women. It's not for blacks or gays or straights. It is for alcoholics, right? Plain and simple. It doesn't matter what the rest of the stuff is. If you're an alcoholic, boom, welcome. Let's go to it, right? Let's get free and let's go off and give freely what we have so that other people can live. So as I said, each and every single one of us has a, has a voice, right? Each and every one of us has a unique experience that someone cannot take away from you, right? And that experience can be uniquely useful to somebody else out there. Some of you may have heard me say this before, but every single one of us, how many people do we have in this room? Some odd umpteen people. We could all be at a treatment center or all be at a meeting talking about step one, and we all say the exact same thing, the exact same thing. But there are people out in the audience who will only be able to hear it from her or only be able to hear it from him, right? Perhaps not even any of us, but the dude who's coming in tomorrow, you know? The point is, is that I'm suiting up and I'm showing up. I'm going out. I'm not waiting in a meeting, right, for someone to just come to me, right? I make the approach. How do I maximize the ability to make that approach is by going out and finding these places, right? Making a commitment and then getting into 12-step work. 12-step work is any work with the 12 steps, right? It is not service work. Service work and 12-step work are two separate things. Service work looks like me cleaning up ashtrays, scrubbing the toilets, handing out pamphlets, putting out chairs. That stuff is awesome. Don't get me wrong, not knocking any of it. 12, uh, service work is anything that makes 12-step work possible, right? But what do I do if I'm out in the middle of nowhere? I have a book and I have, I'm armed with the facts about myself. So let's go to it, right? So with that, I want to thank each and every single one of you. I'll leave you with this final sentence. Cling to the thought that in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession that you have. The key to life and happiness for others. With it, you can avert death and misery for them. I don't subscribe to the fatalist idea that I'm going to be always powerless. The book does not teach us that. It says we have given the power to help others. That paragraph right there, that sentence, that doesn't sound like powerless to me. That sounds like great power. Is it my power? No. That is the power of God working in me and through me. And that's why it's up to us, each and every single one of us, to fulfill our obligations and our responsibilities to continue to chop wood and carry water and continue to make the approach to qualify the newcomer, to get them free and connected to God, to get them to feel the power. Thank you, guys. Wow.
You did not disappoint, Jared. You want to stop the recording, Eric? <clears throat> that was beautiful.